0: To the time we have all right let 's do this let 's uh, go to Romans one. We started a series in romans we 're walking through paul 's letter to the church in Rome, and I am going to pick up with verse eight i 'm going to read to verse fifteen and then we'll um, we'll get as far as we can. I think we can get all the way um, and then and we have to because i 'm on a schedule all right, so uh, if nothing else, just the schedule is um, and they got a new clock for me here, which is so crazy. They're like, they're like counting me down now. So we'll, we'll see how that works, all right? Um, Romans chapter 1, verse 8. Here is how Paul is, uh, picks up in the letter. Uh, so so he's, he's done his greeting. I'm Paul. Uh, this is what I'm called to. These are the people in Rome. And then in verse 8, he says this. First, For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, that that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation to both Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also, to you also who are in Rome. So if you would, would you bow with me? Father, I ask that you would help us this morning to understand your word, to see it clearly. I pray your spirit would open our minds and um, illuminate what you have revealed so that it gets inside of us and changes us that's what we ask father and you're the only one that can do that and so we bring that with you uh, to you in the name of your son Jesus and by the power of your spirit amen well i want you to notice a, a couple of things so we're going to walk through this now, but i want you to see a couple of things if you if you look in verse 8 he talks about their faith uh, being proclaimed all over the world. So, in some ways, it, it, it is famous amongst the, the churches, and maybe those outside of the church, that, that a church has been planted in Rome. You know, so all roads lead to Rome. That means all communication uh, was it, easily flowed to Rome and out of Rome. And the word had gotten out that this church, these believers in Jesus, they were gathering in Rome. And, and people just couldn't believe it. I think they were People that lived outside of Rome, maybe had not been there, could hardly believe that there was a church in Rome. And Paul said, listen, your faith, man, it's known all over the world. Everybody knows about what's going on there. And Paul had met some of those believers in Corinth. He met uh, Priscilla and Aquila, and we talked about last week how they got there. But here's what's amazing about it. This church and their faith, it had grown up without what we would call apostolic Foundation, which means it wasn't one of the original um, disciples or, or apostles that started this church. In fact, Paul didn't even start the church. He's the Johnny Come Lately apostle on the scene, and he wasn't there to start this church. These believers, whether they had heard of the gospel, some believers had heard the gospel, we looked at Acts chapter 2, and Peter preached that sermon, and they were saved and they go back to Rome, or Some merchants that had come out of the Israel area and gone to Rome and evangelized or a combination of both. But people had trusted Christ and they began to meet together. And it was the church. The initial believers, they heard God's word preached. In fact, Paul will talk about how that happens in Romans chapter 10. And, and that the gospel was that the Messiah had come, that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the, the, initially, these would have been Jews. It so was to the Jew first, and then to the Greek, it would have been the Jews. And then they would have told the Gentile God-fears, and the Gentile God-fears would have told the Gentiles that weren't God-fears. And, and, the, and, the, and the, the, the gospel was spreading around in Rome. So, by faith, they believed. They believed it. They believed that Jesus had come. It had been proclaimed to them in their hearing, and they believed it. And then what happens? I'm imagining. I'm imagining I'm there, and, I'm, you know, and we go there, and we're, and we're seeing how it takes place. If we could, you know, on one of those time-lapse, you know, camera deals, you know, where they show you, you know, here's how it starts, and this is where it's finished, and it goes through. And here's, I think, what you'd see. I I think you'd see these people who, they believed by faith Jesus was the Messiah. He was who he was proclaimed to be. And then there was this burning inside of them that their faith caused. And that burning inside of them, what it would have done, it would have driven them to God's word. Word. That's what the Holy Spirit does to you. He He drives you to God's Word, and then He illuminates to you God's Word. And, and the Word that they would have had is the Old Testament. Now listen, here's the deal. They heard Jesus is the Messiah. They believed he died and rose from the dead. They believed that in him, their belief in him, their sins were forgiven. And what it did was it caused this burning in them that drove them to the scriptures. And, that, and the scriptures in that day were the Old Testament. And, and I think we know this because if you look through Romans, here's what's amazing. Over 70 times, Paul is going to quote or paraphrase or allude to the Old Testament. Actually, over 75 times. Here are the books that Paul covers from the Old Testament in his quotations in Romans. He quotes from Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy and Samuel and Kings and Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Job and then from Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and Joel and Nahum and Habakkuk and Zechariah. Raise your, no, don't. You read all those? Some of you have, I know. But that that faith causing this burning that drives them to the Scriptures. Okay, Jesus is the Messiah. Man, let's go see what God has to say because the Spirit draws us. The Spirit of God draws us to the Word of God. And they're going looking for Jesus, which is not out of the ordinary. I mean, in Luke chapter 24, after Jesus is resurrected, he meets two men on the road to Emmaus and he, and he tells them, He says, Hey, listen, what wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? It's because they're they're confused. I mean, the resurrection's happened, everybody's gathering in Jerusalem, they're leaving Jerusalem, Jesus meets them, and he says, Hey, listen, why are you so surprised by this? And then it says this, Luke writes, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them in all the Scriptures, the things concerning himself. He began to open the Scriptures and would read some passages or talk about some passages and go, You know what? I was there all along. In fact, the way that they describe it in Luke's Gospel is this. They said to each other, this is after Jesus had left them, So, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And that is a great thing. Listen, the whole purpose of preaching, what we're doing here on a Sunday morning, this is, this is like a catalyst for you, okay? This is not the sum total of your Christianity, if all you're doing, if you think, oh, I'm a Christian, so I'm going to go to church, I'm going to listen to sermons. That's what you have to do when you're a Christian. And, 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 and yet, that's not it. Hopefully, what happens is, is you hear God's Word taught, it gets opened, and, and the, your faith in you is kindled again. It the, 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 you know, begins to smolder. You, you begin to burn, and you, you, you are drawn to, by God's Spirit, to God's Word. It, it's like the it's like the fuel for the fire of your faith and the holy spirit does that in us Th- this is a catalyst for you my listen you can come tell me at the end of a sermon oh, that was a great sermon that's fine it, it, it's great i'll say thank you or i'll feel weird about it or whatever but but good i don't like all that i mean that's that's fine Man, but the greatest thing that could happen is, you know, you send me an email a couple of days, and I don't do this. I'm not saying, oh, this is, you know, this is what I, 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 don't, but here's the goal. I said, man, you went home today, and you were like, man, I, 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 I want to read more of this. I want to get into more of this. And, and, and that's the Spirit in you, burning in you. You've got to have more fuel for that flame, and so you're just You're drawn to God's Word, and you see that the Spirit of God illuminates He he opens your eyes, brings understanding to you from the revealed Word of God. God's Word plus the Holy Spirit. This is is key in your life. Jesus promised in John 14 through 16, I'm going to send another. I'm going to send a helper. He's going to teach you. And the Spirit is faithful to do that. And so Paul says, "Listen, your, your faith is proclaimed all over the world, and, it, and this faith has been fueled by, nurtured by God's word, not an app, not a man, not an apostolic authority, but God's word through the power of His Spirit." And then he says in verse nine, "Look at this." He says, "For for God's my witness, who, who I, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of sons." So in, in some ways, here is what Paul's saying: he says, "Listen, I'm promising to God, I'm." I'm You know, you say that we don't, we tell our children, don't say these things. But but Paul's saying it, 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 and he means it, he's not flippant. He's like, I I swear, I'm swearing to God. I I think about you all the time. I I think in verse 11, he's going to say, I I long to see you. And he longs to see them because of his thankfulness to God for them and his constant prayers for them. That's what he's saying in verses 9 through 10. Without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers. You know, um, God laid Rome on Paul's heart. God is the one that was directing Paul to Rome. God lays Rome on Paul's heart. Paul begins to pray. Listen, Paul is obedient to what the Spirit puts on his heart. Paul Paul found a longing then kindled in him. And then see, that's what God does. He stirs us by his Spirit. When we're obedient to that stirring, when the Lord lays something on your heart, you say, well, I never really ought to pray about this, right? I really need to step into this or I really need to make this phone call or I really should write this letter or send this email. The, the Spirit's stirring in you. And we're, when we're obedient to that stirring, I, I think one of the things you see is obedience comes. So here's the stirring and then we're obedient to it. We step into it and then longing happens. An anticipation comes or an expectation or a purpose. I mean, we're like, we're in this deal now. I mean, I would just say, listen, if you're bored, and listen, people get there. Christians get there. They get going through the motions, coming to church, doing religion, and think, man, I'm just bored with this. It doesn't. I don't feel anything. I'm not experiencing anything. I would just say a couple of things. Here's a, here's a quick audit for you. Are you spending time with God? I mean, are you opening his word? Are you quieting the noise? Are you turning down the volume of the world around you? If if we don't, we, we, if all we hear is the noise of the world, we cannot hear him. Listen, some, maybe you're not stepping into obedience as the spirit prompts you. You know, you have that stirring and you think, oh, well, maybe that'll just go away. I don't really want it. I don't really have time. That's messy. Or I would say, listen, as the Spirit stirs, you step into that. And, and if you're not doing it, if you're not spending time alone with God, just turning down the volume of the world, if, you're not, if you are not taking those moments and stepping into the stirring that the Spirit's doing in your life, I'm telling you, you are not experiencing the joy of laboring with Christ in this life that he has joined you to. Remember, Paul says, listen, those that belong to Christ, you belong to him. But if if you're not ever stepping into the ways he's stirring you, I'm telling you, yes, you're going to be bored out of your mind. If you're a believer, you're ruined just enough that the world's not satisfying anymore, as if it ever was, and yet you've let the noise of the world drown out what the Spirit's nudging you, stirring you, calling you into. We, we did this deal Wednesday night here. It was, um, I talked about it the last couple of weeks. It was evangelism training. Mark Middleburg came here. And it was in preparation for this deal called City Fest that's coming up in October. And so it, it's 350 churches have come together. We're bringing the Luis Palau group um, here. And there are uh, an expectation of 10 to 15 to maybe 20,000 people that will occupy space in the downtown square. They're going to shut everything down Um but there will be easy access to the foundry uh, during that, by the way. <laughs> so save your money. Uh, but anyways, um, so but but so all these people are going to gather down there, and, and there's going to be there's going to be lots of draw for people to come, and and it's um, th- there's no bait and switch. Everybody's r- wide open about what's happening. But but we're gathering people. People are going to be gathering. There's going to be bands, and there's going to be motocross, and all kinds of other stuff I didn't know about. And um, but then there's going to be some occasions where a man stands up and opens God's Word and proclaims the truth of who Jesus is and trusting that God's Word being open and faithfully communicated that the Spirit is going to stir amongst those many, many people that have gathered. So Wednesday night we did this training and it was evangelism training and part of it was to train people to be festival friends so that when somebody raises their hands, but I, I want to respond to this deal that I just heard that, that people from Bethel and from all of the churches are able to step right into their, to a person's hands raised and have a conversation with them. But one of the things we came away with Wednesday night and I want to offer to you this morning is, is we asked people Wednesday night, hey, think of five people I mean, it, so five's not a magic number, but it's a number. I mean, you could be three, it can be eight. I don't, I don't care, but, but try to think of five people that the Lord would bring to your mind that you would begin praying for their salvation. I mean, begin praying that they would encounter the living God and come to know his son, Jesus. Who, who are the people in your life that are far away from God? And I'm, I'm not even saying... You add them to the list, you begin praying for them and somehow they live in Seattle and so you got to buy them a plane ticket so they come here to Luis Blas. I'm not, I'm not saying that. Some of the people on your list may live out of town. That's fine. It, some of the people on your list may live in town and you have an opportunity to invite them to a deal. But more than that, that you would engage with the living God. Begin praying for them that they would come to know His Son. And commit to praying for them. And then, what I want you to notice, I think this is what happens to Paul. I want you to notice what God does to your affections and your longings. See, Paul begins to pray for Rome. Rome, God puts Rome on Paul's heart. Paul prays without ceasing. He says, Listen, I swear I've been praying for you. God is my witness that I have been praying for you, and what it does is, we see in verse eleven, it has stirred this longing in him, this anticipation, this eagerness, this I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And listen, as a believer, you were recreated, you were born again to a new life, and this, this is this is the. This is the excitement in that life. You're trying to settle for all the other things that the world's been offering and you've been doing, things you can't let go of. But this, this is what you've been made new for. Well, before we leave that, I want you to see one thing, and I can't help but talk about it. Verse 10, look at what he says again in verse 10. He says, so always in my prayers asking, listen to how Paul says this. Asking that somehow, by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. So, there's a bunch of things to say about that. Somehow, by God's will, I may at last succeed. This is a crucial verse. If you think about how Paul actually found his way to Rome. So Paul prays here for God's will and then he he, he, he plans to, to come and to minister to the Romans and then on paper Paul has a really great plan he's going to go to Jerusalem take them the money that he'd been collecting settle a theological matter in, in the church leadership get their blessing head off to Rome. And then from there go to Spain. And it's a fantastic plan. And it was probably the focus of Paul's prayer. He's praying over the details and praying over the plan. And there's no reason to doubt that that Paul felt God stirring and moving to, to Rome. And it's evident that he's a man of prayer. And it's evident that he's a man given to the sensitivity of the Spirit of God. But that is not how it turned out. God, I'm praying for your will. And I've made this plan. And it's a great plan on paper. And guess what? God's will is going to be accomplished, but nothing on Paul's plan is going to be accomplished. Paul does finally make it to Rome, but it was not like he expected. Listen, when he he went to Rome in chains, as a prisoner, he was beaten, he was almost killed, barely survived a terrible storm at sea, was shipwrecked, was stranded on a remote island, was bitten by a poisonous snake. All of this on his way Rome. Hear the words again. Always in my prayers asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Now that doesn't sound much like success to me. Right? But it does sound like God's will. So the word success, the way the word is used it, it, it what what it means is is to prosper in the sense that things turn out well it does not mean to be led along an easy road L- like it like it specifically doesn't mean that in ancient literature i mean paul had the chance to present the gospel several times it did two years to travel from jerusalem to rome in custody Um, the power of God certainly was demonstrated several times. No doubt God got the glory in Paul's life during all those days of great uncertainty. But let me encourage you this morning in your journey of following God's will, there is nothing else in all of life that we should pursue but God's will. And we've got to settle our minds to the fact that God's will oftentimes is very different from our will. And God's ways are oftentimes very different than God's ways. I mean, we sincerely pray God answers, although sometimes with timing and in ways we don't expect. He uses different strengths than the one you might rely on. He will use a different timetable than the one you might imagine. I've had that conversation with God lots of times. I'm like, do you own a watch? I mean, do you do. You, I, you know, I. Sometimes I think God doesn't even have a day planner. He'll use different training than the ways that we've prepared ourselves. He may use different opportunities, jobs, careers than the ones we might have anticipated. He may use someone else whom we influence to accomplish what we thought was going to be our job. And we have to rest in the fact that God's ways are not our ways. And also rest in the fact that God's ways are good and right and perfect. He's never out of control. He, his will is never crippled. His, he's always at work in the lives of those who love him. So I'll tell you this morning, if you find yourself on a journey that's very f- different than what you thought it was going to be, Rest in the reality of God's will. So continue to pray. Continue to seek him. Continue to make your plans. Continue to seek counsel. But do not resist the sovereign God of the universe when he works in your life in ways that are uncomfortable. He'll lead you down paths you'd never choose to go. He'll allow circumstances in your life that you would never allow, never ask for. You may seem are unfair and unjust to you and he'll do that to shape your character and to provide opportunities to be able to say to you, I love you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. We can rest in God's will. Well, so that gives us an insight into Paul. He, he, he says in verse 11 when he gets there, he says this, I long to see you, that I might impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, in verse 12, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Some commentators think that he writes verse 11, so I can't wait to get to you. I'm going to impart some spiritual gift to you to strengthen you. Oh gosh, and that sounds weird. What I really mean is we're gonna mutually encourage each other. And then Paul really does mean that. That that's Paul's theology about how the church is supposed to work. So Paul, listen, it doesn't mean he's gonna go bestow some gift upon them. That Paul can't do that. That's what the Holy Spirit does. But he does mean, listen, he's going to use his own spiritual gifts. He's going to take the gifts that God's given him, and he's going to go to Rome, and he's going to use those gifts to strengthen Rome. And in, in turn, Paul, he's going to be the recipient of the spiritual gifts of the believers in Rome. That's how it works. First Peter chapter 4 says, as each has received a gift, we've all received a gift, a spiritual gift. Use it to serve one another as God's or as good stewards of God's varied grace, this multicolored grace, a kaleidoscope of grace. Every believer's been given a gift. And it's a gift given to you, but not for you. It is for everyone else around you. So a couple of things. No one has all the gifts, which means no one is meant to live apart from the body of Christ if they are a believer. No one believer is self-sufficient, self-sustaining without the body of Christ. It also means no one has all the gifts, which means there's no one person in the body of Christ meant to meet all your needs or to be looked at as the sole source of spiritual growth and discipleship. That's why in our vision, you know, we say in our vision, statement, every member of Bethel is a minister. We get that from Ephesians chapter 4. God's building us up. He provides some gifts, for the equipping and the training of the ministry or the, of the believers for the ministry the believers for the ministry so that we grow into what it is that God's doing amongst us See, I think sometimes people think well so I go to church and the pastor has all the gifts and he's going to be responsible for my spiritual growth and my maturity and I'll just say this if you're new to Bethel um so well, Let me say it this way. If I haven't disappointed you yet, I promise that's coming. There's you to be day, you wake up and go, man, I am so disappointed in that rat. And then just go, oh, yeah, he told me I was going to be disappointed in him. I don't have all the gifts. I mean, I got like one maybe, all right? I mean, I trust that I do because the Spirit of God said I do. But I don't have all of them. There are lots of gifts in this body and in this church, and we need all of them. And just because Paul is an apostle, I love this, didn't mean that he didn't need the church, that he didn't need the gifts of other believers in the church for his own spiritual growth and his own maturity of faith. I mean, he absolutely did. Paul needed the other other believers. He needed the church for his growth in his faith. I remember I went to the first church I was at. It's Calvary Bible Church. I'm 33 years old. I go to be the senior pastor of a congregation that's almost 70 years old. I'm the third pastor, and both widows of the previous pastors were still in the congregation. And we're the youngest couple by far. And we got two little kids, and our children's ministry was two kids. I mean, many, so most of them had been married longer than I'd been alive. Many of them had grandchildren my age or older. And I would stand up on Sunday mornings and I would preach to these very mature believers who had seen lots of life. And every now and then, a sweet old lady would come and she'd show me the notes in her Bible on the text that I'd just preached. The notes from the previous two pastors... And those notes were better than my sermon. But here's the deal. They understood what Paul knew. We're never too old. We're never too mature. We're never too spiritual to not need the body of Christ. And the multitude, the kaleidoscope of grace that comes to us through the gifts of those around us. The maturity of a believer does not qualify the gifts of the Spirit. If you only said, "Well, I, you know, I've walked with the Lord twenty years. I'm pretty mature. And I only really benefit from people that are mature." We don't think that like consciously, but subconsciously, I think that drives us. Or to think, "Man, I'm brand new to the faith. I don't even know what church is. I, I wasn't even sure what to wear today. But I'm, but I'm here. And man, certainly nobody needs anything from me." I say, "That's not true. We're." We're so glad you're here. We can't do this thing without you. Well, Paul's desires to come to him in verse 13, he, 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 the obstacles and the obligations that he encountered, he said, I've often intended to come to you i have been prevented. Did the, those obstacles, what are the obligations he encountered, they don't thwart his desire. It was a sustaining desire, I think sustained through his prayer and longing and anticipation that came with that. And then in verse 14, Paul's called to all men. He says, listen, to the Greeks and to the barbarians. And and what that means is, it, when you talked about the Greeks in that day, it was it was not a, a race or a, a people. It was a class of people. They were the, um, they were the high culture. You could say it. I mean, I've been called. I'm am a debtor. He says I'm obligated to the high culture and the low culture and everything in between. When the word obligation is debt, it is, I'm am a I'm I'm in debt to them. Now let's think about that for one second, and we'll move on. But what does he mean by debt? There's two ways to be in debt. I read a guy's um, uh, commentary on this, and he was like, hey, there's two ways to be in debt. You can borrow something or you can steal something, and that puts you in debt. But, bar, but Paul, listen, he hadn't borrowed or stolen anything from the Greeks or the barbarians that we know of. So, so what does it mean that he is in debt them, that he's obligated that way. But what it means is that Paul had received grace, grace that came from God through Jesus. But to be really clear, grace is not a debt to be paid back. It can't be paid back or it's not grace anymore. The Christian life cannot be built upon what one guy calls a debtor's ethic, which means that you live your life and you say things like this to yourself. Well, Jesus has done all of this for me. The least I can do is volunteer in the nursery. I remember another Calvary Bible Church story. That was a really good story I told a minute ago. And all those people are wonderful saints. Except for one, and um, but but I remember uh, I remember the first Sunday I didn't preach uh, w- wearing a tie. Um, and by the way, I still have a bunch of ties. I have a whole bunch of ties left over. They're like old twenty years old now. But um, but I didn't wear a tie, and I remember, man, he, it was it so bothered him. And I, I probably didn't read the room right, and I should have done more of like announcing i'm not going to wear a tie in three weeks just to prepare everybody or whatever but man he met me at the door and he said listen jesus died on the cross for you the least you could do is wear a tie (laughs) i was like why i'm not sure wearing a tie is gonna pay back to dying on the cross thing you know and besides all that, you can't pay him back. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is not, man, I do this, or I reach out to somebody, or I call somebody, or I'm nice to somebody, or I bought somebody a meal, or I you know, paid somebody's rent, because you know, this is the least I could do for all that Jesus did for me. You can't pay him back. Don't dare try to. It is an insult to the God of the universe. Grace cannot, it must not, be paid back as a debt. It is a free, radically, incomprehensible, gift given to us to be received humbly. So what is Paul's debt? Well, I think the way Paul sees it, man, when you've been given that kind of grace, <laughs> just overflowing with you got to give it away. you got to give it to others. What you've heard, you tell. What you've received, you Share what you've been given, you give to others. Jesus was saying Matthew 28, go go and teach and preach what I taught you. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, comfort those with the comfort that you've been given. 1 John chapter 4, since you have been loved by God, you, you didn't love him first, he loved you first. And since he loved you, and you kind of expect the text to go well so you love him back and it doesn't say that i mean you should love god back but but since god so loved you you know what we ought to do love one another god pours his grace out into us overflowing listen your life is not your own anymore if you're still clinging to your life still hanging on you're going to struggle to understand comprehend experience the grace that's been given to you if, if you have this well it's just me and god and that's all i need theology or, or me and god and you know my my, my christian songs are on the radio theology th- th- listen th- that's not that's terrible theology you, you will never you, you listen you are going to live your life disappointed disoriented discouraged as a believer What you've received, give away. What you've learned, share. Well, 15, verse 15, Paul says he's eager. I'm eager to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. the, The word eager means passionate. I'm passionate to preach the gospel there. Well, the one question comes up, Well, Paul, you've already said they're believers. Why take the gospel to believers? Well, on the one hand, then, so gospel means more than just the message that God saved you by sending His Son to die for you. It's not less than that, but it certainly is more than that. It's, I think what Paul's referring to, is the whole counsel of God. In fact, the content of of Romans, I mean, this is why people say, you know, you hear preachers say, well, you can preach the whole Bible from Romans. It's the whole counsel of God under under listen you 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 come to faith that the gospels communicated that the truth about who Jesus is and, and that he's God's son and and so the the truth is presented about his life and his death and his resurrection And you hear that, and you believe that. By faith, you say, okay, that's true. I'm going to hang on to that in my life. I'm going to count on that to be saved. And and that's that's the gospel preached that brings salvation. And and, and it's understanding in a a moment in time or coming to an understanding of the event of Christ's life. His death and His resurrection. Jesus died for you. He died in your place because of your sins. And your your sin is placed on Him. And and that brings a man or a woman or a boy or a girl to a place of faith, to to, to salvation. And, And then... Then you, then you embark, I mean the next very breath you begin embarking on a lifetime of understanding what that means. You, you have to come to believe the, the event, you have to come believe this is true, you have to come believe that's what saves you, that's the work of Christ. Now you embark on understanding and comprehending what that means in every aspect of your life. You come to understand who this God is who saved you. You now begin to move from the facts of this event that you believe by faith to understanding a theology of who God is. Theology, the two words, theos and logos. means God and words. It's, it's words of God or the, and the words about God. It's theological understanding. And it's not for the sake of theology alone. Let me make that clear. It's not some theological system. Now, the aim, the goal... It's not to know theology, it is to know God. And Paul comes to share this gift. He's the greatest theological mind in the history of the church. What it means is it's more than just sitting and listening to a sermon. You you work out theology. You come to understanding and comprehension and insight as you or in a Bible study with, with men or with women, or you're in a life group, or you know, two, three or four guys or gals are sitting around having coffee and, and having a conversation about who, who God is. And it's reading God's Word. I mean, it's, it's reading it. You know, it's searching the Scriptures, fueling that, that burning in, in your heart of who He is. A couple of weeks, September 4th, we're starting Bethel Theological Studies for that very purpose. You You need to read good books, pray with others, pray for others. It's so important. So I don't know if you've heard. I mean, so it's all over the news. Maybe you have. I don't have Facebook. I'm sure it's all over Facebook, but... Where we have these famous believers that are saying they don't believe anymore. Josh Harris put put that out. You know, the guy kissed dating goodbye. He's now kissed Jesus goodbye. Uh, Matt Sampson, uh, who's a worship leader, who wrote some song, but everybody knows it. couple things I'd say about it. One, it's terrible. Two, it can be really confusing. Three, it reminds us that celebrity Christians are regular people and they're not people to put our hope in. There's a guy named John Cooper. He's the lead singer for the band Skillet. Maybe you read this this week. I'm sure it's been out there in the security. I didn't know who Skillet was. I looked it up. They're an American Christian rock band formed in Memphis, Tennessee in 1996. You know as much as I do now. But John Cooper's the lead singer. He writes a Facebook post um, that I, somebody sent me. It's titled, What in God's Name's Happening in Christianity? And so I want to, as we conclude, I want to read you a couple of things that I think support what it is that we've said here about Paul's longing and desire to go to Rome. He says, My conclusion for the church, all of us who are Christians... We must stop making worship leaders and thought leaders or influencers or cool people or relevant people the most influential people in Christendom. And yes, that includes people like me, he says. I've been saying for 20 years and seemed probably quite judgmental to some of my peers that we are in a dangerous place when the church is looking to 20-year-old worship leaders as our source of truth. We now have a church culture that learns who God is from singing modern praise songs rather than from the teachings of God's Word. I am not being rude to my worship leader friends, many who would agree with me, in saying that singers and musicians are good at communicating emotion and feeling. We create a moment and a vehicle for God to speak. However, singers are not always the best people to write solid biblical truth and doctrine. Sometimes we're too young or too ignorant of Scripture, or too unaware, or too unconcerned about the purity of Scripture and the holiness of the God who we're singing? Have you ever considered the disrespect of singing songs to God that are untrue of His character? He goes on, my second thought is this. Why do people act like being real covers a multitude of sins? As if someone's courageous for simply sharing virally every thought or dark place. That's not courageous. It's cavalier. Have they considered the ramifications as if they're harbingers of truth? or are saying, I used to think one way and practice it and preach it, but now I've learned an, a whole new truth and will start practicing that and preaching it. So the influencers become the voice of whatever truth at whatever stage, at whatever evolution takes place in their thinking. Thirdly, there's a common thread running through these influencers and leaders that basically says, no one else is talking about all the real stuff. And that's just flatly false. I just read today in a renowned worship leader statement, how could God, the God of love, send people to hell? No one talks about it as if he's the very first person to ever ask this question. Brother, that's not unique. You're not unique. The church has wrestled with this for 1,500 years, literally. Everybody talks about it. Children talk about it in Sunday school. There's like a billion books written on the topic. And just because you don't get the answer you want doesn't mean we're unwilling to wrestle with it. We wrestle with Scripture until we're transformed by the renewing of our minds. He concludes, Is it any wonder that some of our disavowed Christian leaders are letting go of the absolute truth of the Bible and subsequently their lives are falling apart further and further They're sinking into a sea, all the while shouting, now I've found the truth, follow me. Brothers and sisters in the faith all around the world, pastors, teachers, worship leaders, influencers, I implore you, please, please, in your search for relevancy for the gospel, let us not find creative ways to shape God's word into the image of our culture by stifling inconvenient truths, but rather let us hold on even tighter to the anchor of the living word of God. For he changes not. The grass withers. And the flowers fade away. But the word of our God. Stands forever. If you would would you bow with me. And let's pray. Father I pray this morning. You would do what only you can do. And that is in the preaching of your word. And by the power of your Holy Spirit would you grant faith would you ignite faith in those this morning that don't believe that they would see your son jesus clearly for who he is and and receive the grace